Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be forced to endure the pain of paranicia if you infected me with the idea that you missed this week's show. Center equity and tech in your hiring, retention, and training. Amy Sample Ward returns for a valuable, fun conversation that starts with the Show the Salary campaign and winds into technology strategies for treating your staff like adults and learners. She's our technology and social media contributor and CEO of N10. On Tony's Take Two, let's rejoice. We're sponsored by Turn Two Communications. PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by Send in Blue, the only all-in-one digital marketing platform empowering nonprofits to grow. Tony.ma slash Send in Blue. Let's get started, shall we? What do you say? Here is Center Equity and Tech in your hiring, retention, and training. It's always a pleasure to welcome back Amy Sample Ward. You know her. You know who she is. She's our technology and social media contributor, and she's the CEO of N10. Her most recent co-authored book is Social Change Anytime, Everywhere, about online multi-channel engagement. She's at amysampleward.org and at Amy R.S. Ward. Welcome back, Amy. Yay. I can't believe it's been so long. I know. It's been several months. I didn't even look back. It's been too long. But but let's not let's not dwell on that. We'll we'll get (laughs) it's my job to fix it. So what uh, is time anyway? You know? Oh, that's an existential question that we don't have the time to answer what time is. So um, you're well in Oregon? Yes? Yeah, doing pretty well. You're hot. We're hot. We're hot in Oregon. We've got we've got a hot a hot heat wave and a hot summer ahead of us, but otherwise doing okay. And, you know, I think like a lot of parts of the country, the, the kind of atmosphere feels like it's lifting a little bit as, as cities kind of open up more because, because it is summer, even if it's super hot, (laughs) it's better to just be outside and see other people. You know, Um, I think after a long, hard winter of, people really just being inside. Yeah. And last summer, largely the same. Yeah. At least if you were doing the right thing. So yes, it it beats the hell out of summer 2020. Right. Yeah. Although I'm sorry that uh, climate change has uh, contributed to bad temperatures in, uh, in Oregon. And that's Yeah. Yeah. We've already, it's already fire season here. And, um, Fire season is all the year now. Now uh, I I mean, California just doesn't even have a fire season anymore. They just have fire. Well, and, and thinking about, you know, how many, N10 has community members all over the U.S., Canada, Europe, you know, all around the world. Um, and so it's something we're always thinking about is, you know, what's going on and for somebody that might open an email or show up to a course yeah. or be in one of our, our cohort programs where we're really kind of expecting a lot of you over an extended period of time. And, you know, there's folks in so many different geographies, so many different identities, so many different kind of compounding factors where it just might not be a day that you can join 
a course, you know, and we have done a lot of work kind of lat all of, all of 2020 started in 2019 and launched this calendar year with a number of changes to our program so that people were better able to say, yeah, this isn't the day that I can join this. And that they weren't kind of like slowly slipping behind or slipping out of any of our programs that the system was already built for them to be like, yeah, not today, you know, uh, and, and make it. Well, we're going to talk about uh, that. To me, that falls under the rubric of tech equity. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about that. Um, Let's start with the, um, something I know is on your mind, the uh, show the salary campaign. There was, Mm -hmm. it was uh, a a critical piece in the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Uh, Just yesterday, we're recording on June 23rd. Yesterday there was a a piece uh, by Vincent Robinson, uh, critical of show the salary campaign. Let's acquaint folks with what show the salary is first. Sure. So I think show the salary, like hashtag no spaces, show the salary, uh, is a campaign, um, but but is not the only movement for. There are many, many folks, many different hashtags, many different appeals to the sector at large, whether that's foundation uh, jobs or nonprofit jobs, whoever to include the salary, whether that's a hard and fast number or that's a range in every job posting um, from CEO to to any other position, really because of the the number of dynamics that come when you don't show that salary and the the privilege that it really wraps itself around, um, that it's, it's not creating an equitable opportunity or access point for all different kinds of folks to apply for that job. Um, and show the show the salary is is one of these campaigns and efforts to encourage folks whether by asking nicely or shaming whichever direction works uh, to get people to do it all right and some of the some of the reasons that showing the salary is important are i know that um it gives an advantage to folks who negotiate salary better which is typically white men, they're more confident in their negotiations. They have better outcomes when they attempt to negotiate. If not even better outcomes, they at least get get a better reaction when they attempt to negotiate. So it gives advantage to the white privileged. Um, it, it's, um, it's disadvantageous in that you, know, you, you might be, I mean, this, is, this applies to everybody. You, you might spend your time applying for a job that's beneath your salary requirement. And we all got to right. cover, we all got to cover a monthly nut. And if your right. salary, if the salary isn't going to do it, you got to go through a, a laborious process to find that out. Maybe a couple of interviews, several hours, your research time, you're spiffing up your resume time, your credentials, right. et cetera. So why, right. you know, why hide it from anybody? Um, it, on the positive side, it promotes transparency and you'd like to hire people who want to work for transparent organizations and people want to work for transparent organizations. What, what am what am I what am I leaving out of the what the advantages the reasons for showing the salary? I mean, I think all of those are right, and also all of those are kind of like doorways into an entire you know grouping of arguments <laughs> that are related to them, right? And right. and I think at Intent we really um, combine when we're trying to ask or compel or encourage or convince other organizations to include salaries. To us, that means compensation in general, 
make clear what your benefits really are. Don't say generous benefits, because to your point, if someone is um, has chronic illness and they know that healthcare is going to be a really important part of the benefits they get, and all that you've said is generous benefits, they don't know how to navigate if that's going to be worth their time. Compared, uh, right, I, really, you know, when you think about these things critically, which, you know, it's it just, it, uh, you know, for me at 59 years old, it's what I grew up with. Commensurate salary, uh, salary commensurate with their experience and generous benefits. Right. You know, uh, but if you do think about that, well, it really it communicates nothing. Generous, right. gen, generous by whose standards? Commensurate by what type of experience? And who's the arbiter of that, right? Well, well who's it? Yeah, who is? Right. Yeah. Uh, so. I think especially as uh, folks are starting to maybe in a tokenizing way, look to increase the number of black, indigenous, staff of color, um, LGBTQIA+, like all different, you know, quote unquote, diverse metrics for their staff. Those folks want to know that they are going to be evaluated by something they opted into, right? So seeing something like, oh, it's commensurate with experience. Well, if you're excited to hire me because I also speak Spanish, but you're not, that's, you're not giving me a, a salary because of that, then that's probably not a great place, right? Yeah. Like all of those decisions add up to a picture that's getting painted to potential staff before they even apply, let alone are hired and start there. And if you think about, you know, what is this picture we're painting? Is it just like murky and you can't see anything? Is it really clear? Are we painted a beautiful picture of this land they could come, come join? You know, it isn't just like what's in the organization's interest because you really want to be able to negotiate with someone. I would, I would invite a bit of, reflection on why you want to negotiate something you know because if you don't already know how much you can pay that's how much you can pay and and if you don't then you're probably not ready to start hiring okay uh vincent robinson uh pushed back against the uh, show the salary campaign his his main point is that now he is a recruiter he makes right. a point of saying that his practice is devoted to uh expanding diversity and accessibility among job applicant uh, among applicants. Yes. And placements that he makes. Um, he says that 90% of the candidates that he places are diverse uh, by, by common standards. All right. So let, let's just assume that that's all the case. Uh, take him at his word for that. He says that the, the main problem with the show, the salary campaign is that it actually disadvantages folks Um What's his point? Because uh, I mean, essentially, if I can, why don't you help? Can, can recap it? Um, the the way that we read it and have discussed it at end is essentially saying that by disclosing that salary, oh, folks, folks who don't already make it would, right, that's right. would feel that they um, wouldn't go for that job. Right. And if, they're, if their current salary, I think he uses the example of someone whose salary is $60,000 and they feel they're eminently qualified for a job that posts a range or a salary of $150,000, that they will be discouraged from applying because they feel they're not worthy of that salary. And right. he says that he has counseled many people in that situation that they should absolutely apply. Right. 
what does the uh, I, I'm not I don't want to make you a, sh- uh, a spokesman for the show, the salary <laughs> campaign. We don't even know who the members of the show, the salary campaign are, which we are going to talk about the secretive side of that. I, I'm curious about sure. that. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, as an advocate for uh, show the salary, what would sure. you what do you say to uh, Mr. Robinson? Sure. Well, I want to name that I have nothing to do with the show the salary campaign. And as far as I understand it, it's a campaign started by uh, nonprofit staff in the charity sector in the UK. Um, while I champion it and love what they're doing, I have nothing to do with it. Um, but there are, you know, folks like Vu Lee and the community centric fundraising community and 10 lots of folks in the US have also been been calling for this. I think the idea that someone would see a higher salary and think that they are not qualified, I'm not going to say that doesn't exist. Like, humans are complicated, dynamic, interesting creatures, and I'm sure there are people for whom they have experienced a lifetime of internalized messages that they are not worthy of that job, right? That is not going to be changed by all organizations continuing to hide the salary. <laughs> we are not changing uh, the, the sector's general attitude that everyone deserves more money by hiding salary. So even if, even if there are individual use cases where people were discouraged because of a, a high salary, that is not a validation for, for not disclosing it. And ultimately... By showing those salaries, you're encouraging peer organizations to equally pay that much for the similar titled or, or scoped positions. Um, you know, I think another perspective we talked about at N10 was, well, if that person is making 60000 they're in an organization that has the full kind of uh, equatable scope to that other position, then they probably shouldn't be making sixty. And the issue is that they are currently making too oh, little, not that they are not qualified for a job that makes twice as much, right? That the real issue is, is their current place of employment and that that place, they should be able to use that job posting to say, hey, I'd like a raise. Um, I think the dynamic that's not spoken about in the Chronicle piece that I do think is an important part of the, the conversation about hiring in the sector is the fact that that article is written by a recruiter. And I think that I have experienced and seen and coached many people applying for jobs who have a very different um, understanding or expectation or assumptions about what's going on when they are dealing with a recruiter than when they are applying directly to the organization. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of, of messaging and marketing that recruitment firms are, you know, leadership or CIO, C-suite, CEO type of jobs. And those feel like they imply a level of corporateness, uh, uh, maybe certain size of organization, you know, and those are probably more likely the factors that are making folks feel like they don't want to go for the job than the fact that it pays more money. Yeah. Uh, but it's no, interesting. Just, just the existence of a recruiter could be off-putting to a lot of folks who internalize messages about their credentials. Their, right. Their, their and not that I don't think people should use recruiters. I definitely think they should, but I think that that's an unspoken reality that is not factored yeah. into that article. Right, 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 right. Which I'm not sure that he would even acknowledge. Yeah, right. but... Okay. I want right, so, to... Right, can, so I, can, I go, can I steer us back to a question? 
instead, I, you always get to steer. Can I steer? No, you for a always, second? I always give you latitude. I, always, <laughs> I can't. Well, say because that. you said something that that I thought was interesting, and and we could talk about for a second earlier um, when you were saying, you know, expertise, uh, and I think that's also a big part of all of this is that if you were to take two job listings that you found that said the salary and they said they were both $60,000 jobs, right? 60,000 as your annual salary. I cannot imagine that you would find those two jobs say they're looking for the same experience or expertise or scope of job, even if they were both in communications or both in, in programs. Right. So I feel like there's also an opportunity to be very open and intentional with how we phrase or, or position to potential staff what we were looking for when we hired you. Because if it's just like, you know how to use this database and you know, you know, you know how to do these tactical things. I don't know how it matters who it is you hire. Hire the first person then. Right. Like if, if that's the thing that's most important to you is just that they can technically do these things. That feels to me like it, you maybe don't even need a human. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, a pretty, right, that's a pretty shallow job description. If it's just a list of four things that you need to be able to do. But, right. Then just hire the first person who can do those four things. And it, it, it makes no difference who it is. Right. But I see, you know, Enten has a job board and um, see jobs posted in the sector on Twitter, et cetera, all the time. I feel like hiring is kind of picking up now. And I see so much of it is like, we really want you to have experience with X database or X website platform or, you know, and like, does any of that matter? Can you teach somebody the database? It's all trainable. It's all right. So we need somebody who's trainable. Right. You, or, right. And like eager to learn and yeah. interested in, in doing the work that we do, but not that you already know how to do certain things, right? That's not the most compelling. And again, back to that idea of like, you're painting a picture for these potential applicants. You're painting a picture that like what they're, what they're part of that magical garden scene is like, you have a hammer, you have a shovel, you have some seed, like, you know, it's probably looks not as appealing, right? It looks like, oh, yes, this is beautiful garden scene. And I will sit over here hammering on the bench. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, But I could, I mean, uh, I guess what we're, what we're talking about, though, depends on the level that you're hiring, too. I mean, if, if, if an expertise is required in something... That, sure. That's not that's not trainable. I mean, you so you have IT staff. You have the luxury of having right your own development team. Um, so person, you know, yes, he per, he person. does the okay. work person. of a team, person. but he is okay. a person. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, shout him out now. Go ahead. Dan. Yay, Dan. Yeah. Okay. So you have the luxury of having a development person, web yeah. development person. Um, so you know he has to have a, a basic level of skill, or or beyond basic. In certain things, I don't, you know, I whether it's C plus plus or Drupal or you know whatever, I don't know. HTML, you know, well we're beyond HTML that I know. So, uh, you know, at that point, you have you would you would advertise a fluency with something, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, I mean, um, we, when we hired for that position, you know, we certainly wanted to say these are the platforms we're currently using. Um, but okay, and you need to we, be able to support. You need to be able to support these. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. but that was, you know, that's more of like, hey, this is the job, so stop reading if you don't know what WordPress is. You know, maybe not the posting for you. But the things that we really want are that you want to be part of a team where every person has leadership responsibility. You know, you're, you're not just going to be told what to do. Like you also have to come up with what to do. And uh, you know, we want everybody on the team helps with the NTC. You're going to like carry a sign down a hallway, put it somewhere. Like you don't just get to sit at a computer, you know, like we really want to communicate that working at what working at Enten is like and, and make clear that that's what we're looking for. Right. Versus the list is, For this salary, you can do these five technical things. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. The Chronicle of Philanthropy, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Stanford Social Innovation Review, the Washington Post. The Hill, Cranes, Nonprofit Quarterly, Forbes, Market Watch. That's where Turn To clients have gotten recent exposure. You want that kind of press? Turn To has the relationships to make it happen. Turn-2.co, your story is their mission. It's time for Tony's Take Two. Let's rejoice this summer. We've come so far from a year ago, from where we were last summer. Let's take some pleasure in this summer. I hope you can. Yes, there's a long ways to go to. Uh, My state, North Carolina, is less than 50% vaccinated. But we're so much further from where we were last summer. Let's take some pleasure in how far we have come. I hope that you can do that in your own way. I hope you can schedule some time away or some just some time. It doesn't even have to be time away. I hope you can schedule time for yourself, family, friends, all of which we couldn't do, couldn't do safely a year ago. So let's rejoice in how far we have come while at the same time recognizing there's a good way to go before we're out of the woods with this pandemic, with the Delta variant now and other possibilities of variations We've come a long way. I hope that you can take the time for yourself, for your family, for friends to uh, do some rejoicing this summer. Have some fun. Whatever form fun takes for you, whatever it is. I don't know if it's crocheting, if it's travel, if it's stay home, if it's more time with kids. Nieces, nephews, grandchildren, whatever form fun takes for you, I hope you can do it. I hope you can, because we are so much further along than we were this time last year. That is Tony's Take Two. Send in Blue. It's an all-in-one digital marketing platform with tools to build end-to-end digital campaigns that look professional, are affordable, and keep you organized. 
They do digital campaign marketing. Most marketing software is designed for big companies and has that enterprise-level price tag. Tsk, tsk. It's your life if you're using one of those. Send in Blue is priced for nonprofits. Easy-to-use marketing platform that walks you through the steps of building a campaign. To try out Send in Blue and get a free month, hit the listener landing page at tony.ma slash sendinblue. We've got Buku buttloads more time for center equity and tech in your hiring, retention, and training. Very melodic. Uh, it's like it's iambic pentameter almost. How do you encourage job posters on the N10 job board, which I know uh, is one of your more popular uh, pages on the or mm-hmm. areas uh, on the on the site at n10.org, of course. Um, I know you require salary, yeah. uh, either a number or a range, a minimum or a range, I guess. Yeah. But beyond that, what what can you or what can other folks do to either encourage it if they have a job board or working in their own job descriptions? Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of the other work that we do is not very publicly visible. Um, I have had a number of community members over the years since we've been requiring uh, salary where they want to post a position. They themselves had already asked their organization, what's the salary going to be? And the organization said, we're not posting it. So then they come to me and say, like, I'm, I don't have a lot of positional power, but what I could do is like, bring you in on a conversation that puts some pressure on, you know, and um, have some conversation that then does convince them. Because even if they didn't want to do it, and they're doing it begrudgingly. I was looking at them. So they did it, you know, well, you have the leverage of the N10 job board. And right. since we're talking about technology, if it's a tech job, the N10 job board is like a seminal place to be. Right. Right. So, so I've had our, lots our, of places our, where, you know, roof. I've either helped people come up with their talking points to take to their team or joined email threads or even had phone calls with hiring managers who weren't convinced, you know, and just spent 10 minutes talking to them about it um, to get them kind of to the other side. And I think that's, you know, while it's kind of maybe not in my job description, um, <laughs> those 10 minute calls or, or helping somebody with their talking points in a Google Doc are changing organizations. And I really well, love that, doing yeah. that work, you know? No, yeah, but that's using N10's influence the right. same way you do when you, uh, when you uh, sign contracts for, for the NTC, that right. you insist you have, you have certain requirements from, uh, I, I guess, diversity to food to, right. you know, whatever, you use the leverage, you right. use, use the leverage. In that case, it's dollars. Right. In, the, in the hiring case, it's the N10 job board. You right. want to be on it? I mean, the bottom line is you got to play by our rules. I'm happy right. to have a conversation with you about why those rules exist and what, right. what, how they contribute to the N10 values, yeah. how they flow from the N10 values, like maybe more, more, more eloquent, but more appropriate. But in the end, you know, if you want to be on the job board, you got you to gotta use our rules. If you want, yeah. in the end, you want the N10 money, you want the N10 conference at your center, then we have, we have certain basic requirements that are unyielding. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because the N10 job board, of course, you can post a 
a job, what I think most people think of when they think of a job board, like a, a part-time or a full-time organization that you are working for over time. Um, but we also, you can also post gigs or RFPs, um, you know, shorter term project type posts. And we require a salary or budget to be listed on those too. And that's actually the place where we get the most pushback. Um, and folks will say, well, we don't know what our budget is until people reply to our RFP. And while I understand that could feel like reality, there is just like a, just like a potential uh, applicant to become an employee, a potential contractor also doesn't know if this is a project that they should bother trying to take on if they have no idea what your budget is. So if, again, if you don't know what your budget is, you're not ready to hire or yeah. to call for RFPs. You need to know whether this is a $10,000 project or a $60,000 project. I mean, right. you know, and, and without saying a range of ten dollars to $60,000, which is, which is worthless. Sorry. <laughs> do, people, do people do that? Do they say, okay, I'll Sometimes, give you Sometimes, yes. All right. Well, that's worth Sometimes, it. Sometimes, yes. We try and catch those and talk to people. Okay. But, okay. you know, I think that folks... It's such. It's also such a privileged position to say, like, well, we don't even know what the budget is. Where what I hear in that is, whatever people tell us is what we can pay. And I don't think that most nonprofits have a relationship to their cash flow where they could say, whatever somebody says yeah, right, is right. what we should pay. Right? You you likely do have a discrete budget range, and even if you feel like it's really low and you're sad that it would look low it's better that that's on the table at the beginning before a bunch of firms, you know, do a bunch of work. Um, N10 actually just closed an RFP for our own, like it was on our job board, but it was our own RFP to do a website redesign project. And um, we had talked to uh, so many firms in the community, but one had kind of expressed a bit of um, surprise that we were anticipating 10, maybe 15 responses to the RFP, that that would be a lot of responses. Well, we got over 40. And (laughs) what we heard from a lot of people is the reason we got so many is because the RFP was very clear. It said why that was our budget and what what we could do in-house, what we needed somebody else to do. So because we had taken longer than our original timeline was internally to be really clear in the RFP, we were able to get so many more potential folks that wanted to work with us. And now, of course, I don't know how long it's going to take us to read this many uh, applications, but um, it's a better problem to have than, than only a few that submit and none of them feel like a good fit. You know, now we'll be able to choose from a great difficult group of, uh, to decide from. Right. So it ends up being worth the internal time that you spent, even yeah. if it was beyond your, your projected time, uh, because you got four, three, three times the number of applicants' uh, right. proposals that you were expecting. All right. Right. Um, I, I, so let's talk about the Show the Salary campaign. Okay. Now, you, all right, so you said you're not a, you're not a part of it. Uh, I didn't know that it had started in the UK, for one. I, I feel like they... Um, they suffer some because it's it's all it's all secretive. It, they don't reveal. But does anything. it need to be who it, like? Well, it, yeah. I mean, I think credibility. I, I think naming who you are, at least some of whom you are, 
helps with credibility. Uh, uh, you know, purely secret. I mean, but they, they do say that they're nonprofit staff. Yeah, they said that. And I feel like their appeal isn't saying we'd like this one organization, you know, we'd like this one funder to change their grant application and we are previous grantees, so we have a level of knowledge. Like, there isn't any, uh, in my opinion, there isn't any justification you need to do to say, yeah, I think people should have to show their salaries. Yeah, no, they have like six or eight reasons why the salary should be shown. I, I, you know, it's secretiveness creates suspicion. Does it? Yeah, it does. I, I, I just don't, I just don't share that feeling. I feel like uh, um, not the number of people that like, for example, we have, because we have talked on the website and the job board, we have a blog post about why we want people to, to include their salary. Um, it's common that folks that we don't know or, or we're not first name basis, like community member, we know who they are, will tag us in a tweet thread and include our blog post while they are trying to convince someone else. We weren't even part of that. We don't know who these people are that are talking, you know, but they're like, oh, well, an Enten does it. Here's their article and you should really do this. So those people don't even necessarily know who we are, but they're using it to support their argument. And I feel like um, I don't need to go enter that Twitter thread and say like, hello, I am Amy. I am CEO. These are all of the reasons why I get to claim this. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that the campaign, like so many other campaigns is trying to say that the exclusive use of that hashtag are the eight collaborators on that website, right? That like anyone can go appeal to, to folks that aren't sharing their salary and ask them to do it. You know, that it's, it's about the message. It's not about the people who have the capacity to build the website and get it out there. Okay. It is. Yeah. And I, as I said, they have six or eight reasons why you should, should show the salary. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just more traditionalist, but uh, you know, secretiveness breeds suspicion for me. Uh, I would like to see a couple of names. I will keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, but then you say, you know, but in that case where you were citing, you know, N10 gets broke. So other folks brought you in. So you're, they presume your credibility. Well, but I think it's the same way where people that aren't who I'm just saying eight, because that's a random number of people, but like whoever was the, the friends who created that website, like, yeah. People don't need to know them in order to use the hashtag show the salary. Oh, for sure. Say, yeah, you know. Right. And and to agree with the, the six or eight reasons that they have. Right. Right. Which are all very cogent to me. I just, yeah. I, I would like them to go a step further. Yeah. Okay. I hear your concern. I have nothing okay. to do with them. So I, I yeah. can't, okay. I will not pass this feedback to anyone, but. I know. Well, you don't know anybody. <laughs> you don't know, I don't know. It's like people say, this is in confidence. I always say, well, I don't know anybody to tell. Right. And the few people I do know that nobody listens to me anyway. So, <laughs> so your, your confidence is well kept with me. Don't worry. Yes. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You got my confidence. Absolutely. <laughs> this is in confidence. Absolutely. Okay. Um, bring it a little more down to uh, some uh, actionable steps yeah. or if, yeah. if not actionable, at least things that folks can consider. And I'm always grateful to you that we can use N10 as an example yeah. You, have the, you have the N10 equity guide for nonprofit technology. 
which uh, is at n10.org. And my suggestion after that was just search for Equity Guide for Nonprofit Technology. And you'll yeah, find or it. it's underneath the resources. Um, either way. Okay. Yep. It's called the Equity Guide for Nonprofit Technology. And you have some things that you uh, recommend there. And I'm sure that N10 abides by or at least strives to abide by as, be- mm-hmm. as best as you can. Yeah. Um, and the first one is that uh, is, is sort of what we were talking about earlier. Don't assume expertise in technology. Right. And I think that this gets um, a little bit confusing for folks because they, you know, are hiring for a position where whomever is hired, uh, say it's you, Tony, I hire you. I know that so much of your day is going to be using these couple systems. And I think I'm doing doing a favor to everybody by saying, okay, we really want somebody who already knows how to use these things. Right. But it is unlikely that the way you use that database or the way you have set up your website or the way you use QuickBooks, you know, whatever it is, is exactly the same organization to organization. Um, Kind of what we were saying before, you want somebody who's interested and ready to learn how you use your database. And maybe you want somebody who is familiar with what databases do and are and has ever used a database, but the idea that it's really important to hire someone who's used that exact same suite of tools, it doesn't, it's just not realistic. They have not been customized the way your organization is customized. People are using Salesforce in a way that is unrecognizably Salesforce. That doesn't mean that because they use Salesforce somewhere else, they automatically know how you're using it. And all of those things, just as you said at the beginning, are teachable. We should be invested in teaching all staff all of the technical things they need always, not just in their orientation week, right? But technology training is all the time because technology is changing all the time. And when we remove those pieces of focus from the job description, it allows us to really focus on what matters more that's less trainable, less teachable. And that is, you know, are you solutions minded? Are you interested in leadership and responsibility? Do you Um, have experience with community engagement? Do you come from this community that we serve? I don't know what things might be specific to the the job that we're all brainstorming here in this example, but getting to elevate those other pieces that are maybe more about what somebody wants to do or has a natural inclination towards instead of, can you click a mouse on the screen? Like we will teach you how to do that part, you know, but um, if you don't like working with people, Maybe that's not the job because they're clicking the button so that they can talk to people, right? Like <laughs> there's something else happening in that job and focus on that instead. Related to that, m- making training accessible. Uh, so, you know, so, I mean, uh, to me, the, those really go hand in glove. I mean, don't assume right. a certain level of expertise. And then you need to make the training accessible and and as you just said, you know, throughout, because technology is changing. Right. Uh, it's not just. And not everybody learns in the same way, orientation. you know, right. 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 just saying like, oh yeah, we made this internal wiki and there's a bunch of pages. Have at it. Like not everyone can just go look at this wiki. They didn't make themselves and learn from it. So know that however you're going to, invest in training it's investing in different types of opportunities to learn the same maybe core functions so that people can engage the way that 
that works for them. At Enten, for example, a way that we do this is we like to, you know, document things so that it is written down for people that like to have the guide of, okay, step one, step two, do some uh, like recorded, a recorded screen where someone is clicking through doing the thing, right? And then everybody brings their computer to a meeting and we all do it out loud together at the same time so that somebody can say, I did a practice one of these before the meeting and now it's showing me this screen. And then everybody can look and be like, oh, my screen looks like this. Your screen looks like this. Let's all learn what this error is, you know? Um, And it means that, of course, it normalizes that everyone needs to learn these things and it isn't just, you know, one person's job. But it also creates this opportunity for really deep learning because we engaged in that so many different ways, you know, as a team. Community learning, right? Yeah. Together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, requiring equitable equipment policies. And and that's related to bring your own device, which is... Bring your own device. Um, Something we saw at the start of the pandemic even beyond bring your own device was, you know, in an organization where there's uh, in use a very traditional hierarchy, people that were directors or above got to have Apple laptops. So when they said, okay, work from home, they were ready to go. The managers and below had desktop computers. So they were not ready to go, you know? Um, And there wasn't a, acknowledgement of the inequity there. Um, and I think that's, you know, a very easy case in point where you can think about that, but it, we've received so many questions over the last 16 months of people saying, okay, well now that our organization is convinced that we can kind of, kind of maintain a hybrid model going forward, they still haven't changed the policies for it that say directors get a new computer every two years and everybody else gets one every you know, six years, but my computer is dying, you know, and I'm, and I don't qualify. So the option I'm being told is buy my own or use my own, right. which of course isn't, isn't equitable, is not a fair expectation, but it also creates all these other security vulnerabilities where now people yeah, that, that, are exactly. working off of machines that aren't part of the organization's right, knowledge. Right. It's not, it goes, yes, it, it is inequitable. It's also high risk. Right. So, so, so the employee buys their own. Now, how do you know what else they have on it? It belongs right. to them. They're welcome right. to, they're privileged and, and entitled to put whatever they want on it. And how do you right. know? And, and what, so now what, what kind of device is your data being stored on? Right. Right. Exactly. And where are people accessing it from? You know, a number of organizations often try to address some level of security vulnerability by making sure that all of the staff laptops have a VPN and they know how to turn the VPN on. But then when they start using their tablet or their own personal computer to do that work in a different way, they're not going through the VPN. So there's just so many places where it undermines other efforts you have actually invested in because you are not thinking about what it means to have devices for everybody that work for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's wrap up with, okay. and, and there's, there's many more. There's probably a dozen different, if, again, if not action, actionable items, at least items for you to think about and discuss yeah. all throughout the, uh, in, this, 
in the intent equity guide for nonprofit technology. There's a lot more than what we're just the couple that I'm that I'm raising with Amy that we're talking about supporting remote work. Obviously, very timely, uh, enormously. You know, but but um, everybody doesn't have. Uh, um, there's not the same level of of broadband access. We no. know this. I mean, you've right. been you've been active for years on the on, on broadband equity. Right. Um, right. And now it's part of Biden's infrastructure proposal. Right. Where how much of that will get passed? Right. Very uncertain. Right. Some people only define infrastructure as macadam and concrete. Right. And bricks and mortar. And beyond that, you know, they don't want to know about infrastructure. So, you know, you can't even assume the simplest things that so many of us take for granted exist right. among all your among all your staff. Right. And, you know, I think what's just so confounding to me is the number of organizations who last March said, oh, my gosh, we have to work from home. So they did. They worked from home. They worked from home for over a year. And now they're saying you have to be in the office to work. Which what I hear when someone says that is that you do not believe work happened for the last 16 months. And I'm pretty sure that work did happen. (laughs) And it probably happened in ways that were better for each individual staff person managing their day and their needs and what else they had going on in their life. So if, if folks have to be in the office, sitting in, at that desk in front of a screen to be quote unquote working, to me that says you don't think work can happen unless they are being surveilled while they do it, right? That realizing you're stuck and you were definitely not working on this article you need to work on. So you're going to get up and like make a big fresh pot of tea that that's not a part of your human management of your day. Yeah, that's going to be you know? valuable to you. Right. Right. So I think um, organizations that are pushing for this kind of return to in-person are really hurting their staff. There are staff, I mean, we've already seen articles about, you know, staff are leaving en masse instead of returning because that's not, that's the bar, right? Like we have said, the bar is I should be able to be a human that can be trusted to do my job and also live my life. And organizations that can't respect that, I think are not going to have the kind of, you know, talent and, and diversity that they may say they want. Um, and what I think is important to also acknowledge is there are people for whom working in the office is ideal for them because they can't focus at home or at home. There are too many other demands on their time from family members or, or whatever else. But that one person working best in the office doesn't mean everyone else has to be there exactly nine to five with them. Right. There should still be yeah. a way to support folks who are really great staff and just can't be in the office, you know? Yeah. Uh, there are folks who want to be nomads now. Right. Uh, you know, we, we can't ignore what, what we learned over the past 16 months right. and what people have learned about themselves as well as what hopefully organizations learned about themselves and their people. Right. These, exactly. these lessons, you know, these lessons are with us now for generations. Right. So, and it's our opportunity you know, to learn from them and get better and grow Versus, yeah, hold on to, to an idea of something that also wasn't working before the pandemic. Right, but we just you no know, very few people have the courage. Very few organizations have the courage to attempt something different. Okay, right. then they got forced into it two marches ago, and we can't ignore the lessons that we've learned. 
and right. people are not people are not going to be willing to take a step back. So yeah, if your organization is insisting, I would say, especially now during the summer, I mean, if if, if it's maddening. I mean, I, I you know I, I've had folks tell me that their offices go they're going back to their office starting in like mid June or July or something. It's the summer for Pete's sake. Nobody had any any summer in 2020. So if if you have any humanity at all, at least wait until September or maybe even October. Right. Right. But but even beyond then, right. we, you know, we, we've learned so much, and people right. are not going to be willing to go backwards. And if you want if you if you want to retain the best people, you know, some of them are going to want to be nomads now. Some of them are going to want to be able to be at home when their kid is sick and not have to take off work, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's equity, it's tech, it's hiring, it's, it's retention, it's good policies. And I think part of how we ended up going all over the place in this conversation is just a reflection of how interconnected all these things are and kind of directional. If you, if you can't share your salary on your job description, you're prob- what else are you hiding from people? Oh, now they're hired. They probably don't get to have a great computer that they chose, <laughs> right? Like it's all part of the same mess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, we only contribute 25% of uh, healthcare premiums. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Thank you, Amy. Amy Sample Ward, CEO of N10, our technology and social media contributor. Uh, you'll find her at amysampleward.org and at Amy R.S. Ward. Thank you for a, a fun, provocative, interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you as always. Next week, it's Gene Takagi returns. It's Gene Takagi returns. Next week, Gene Takagi returns with your one-hour legal audit. Who writes this copy? This middling, lackluster... This is why I need an intern. I I haven't uh, put the word out for interns lately. Oddly, nobody ever applies. But I need an intern to blame for this middling copy. So if you know someone who wants to be blamed, introduce them to me. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by SendInBlue, the only all-in-one digital marketing platform. Empowering nonprofits to grow. Tony.ma slash send in blue. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>